Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. You know, you know how in a lot of traditions you get a Dharma name. Get a new, we could all like be, you know, Bodhisattva Strawberry Swirl. <laughs> we could name ourselves instead of getting a certificate. You could receive a new name that's like peer derived. <laughs> so let's let's have a seat. So good afternoon. Um, let me describe how I think the afternoon's going to go today. Um, yesterday afternoon, we covered only half of what I wanted to cover around anxiety because I wanted to talk about some of the more existential dimensions of anxiety. But I also realized that there's going to be many times through the course to start to get into that material. So don't worry about it. Um, there's a few times when we're going to talk about the teachings of not-self and teachings of emptiness, and we'll start getting into that material then. Uh, so just put that on pause. Um, this morning we transitioned from mindfulness of sound to mindfulness of breathing, and we used some different kind of somatic ways of starting to feel that. And um, this afternoon... I'd like to begin by, oh, and then we, we finished by covering the four foundations of mindfulness, done. Um, so this afternoon, I wanted to spend a little bit of time just reviewing um, and simplifying everything that we've done together. So you kind of have a personal understanding of that. So I'm going to talk for a little bit, which means if you need to turn your body so your neck's not twisting or sit in a different way, that's okay. I'm going to lead you through two different guided meditations. Um, then we'll have a break, and then you're going to practice introducing another person to mindfulness of breathing, um, based on all the different things we've talked about. Um, so, uh, but before, before we jump in, let me just say that uh, it's so lovely uh, being here with all of you, with such a strong group that's um, really open and also getting to know each other, which is really wonderful. Uh, usually in a group this size, there's one troublemaker, and um, that person has not emerged yet. <laughs> also, one of the good things about being on the ocean and being in the city and being in this space together is that we can use all of this as practice. 
uh, the inner quiet um, that we start to feel that you might not even realize you're feeling yet, um, but you will as the week goes on, or you will when you interact with people after the day, um, and how that uh, harmonizes with the grit of the city um, is an intersection that really, really interests me. And so I think it's really wonderful that we can set up this kind of pop-up monastic community together and then go into the city with all of that because that practice uh, helps us and um, helps the city. And also, um, uh, it allows us to excavate more deeply uh, this path of the heart that includes uh, all the dynamics that happen in the city and in the ocean and in the mountains. It includes all of it, as opposed to sometimes how we think about practice as trying to find a way out of that. So what we're examining is how we are internally, and I hope um, you'll start to recognize the link between how we are internally and also how we are uh, externally. So let me start uh, with an image. Imagine, remember yesterday we had the obstacle for our foot <laughs> that we worked with? Um, imagine that you had to jump over an obstacle that was really high. You had one chance, but you had to start on your tippy toes. Okay, so you get right up on your tippy toes, and then they say, okay, without bending your knees, jump. <laughs> what would happen? Not much. <laughs> no. Would this be a good circus performance? <laughs> yeah. So um, in order to jump really high, you need to change the position of your calf muscles, the shape of your Achilles tendon, and we need to use this posterior chain we've been exploring so that we can bend our knees, squat or crouch, and then jump. And I think this is a good metaphor um, or visual for spiritual practice. Right? We think we want to get somewhere, um, but it turns out you have to go backwards in order to go forwards. In the same way that you can't start on your tippy toes and hope to get somewhere, um, we have to back up. And we have to start with a mindfulness practice that allows us to settle the agitation in our heart, uh, settle the busyness in our mind, so that we can move forward and act and see more clearly. But this going backwards, or in Zen it's called the backwards step, um, this activity is really countercultural. Because whether you think of yourself as a consumer or not, are, like we've all really internalized this idea of progress. We sit down to meditate, we've got to get somewhere. I sit down to meditate, I need to work towards concentration. I sit down to meditate, I should be peaceful. We think we can always make something happen. Or another thing that's really hard to see is how, um, another thing that's hard to recognize is how addicted we are to having an experience. I come into this course because I want to have an experience. 
that's also a kind of consumerism, right? I just want to have another experience. And it's really bad if you're not getting the experience that you paid for. <laughs> So because of this constant forward motion and this way of wanting to constantly consume experiences, uh, it's hard to settle the heart. Please listen to this. It's hard to settle your heart. You can't just do it with a thought, like, I want to settle my heart. It's hard to settle your heart. And the momentum of an unsettled heart is not your fault. It's also from the society we live in, but it's your responsibility. You need to work with it. One of the, the strong memories that I have as a kid is um, on Friday nights uh, after school, we would come home from school, we would like eat an enormous amount of snacks, and then we would shower and we would change and we would go to my grandmother's house for Shabbat dinner. Uh, my family observed a Sabbath, which means we would go to my grandmother's house every Friday night for dinner. We'd have a really long dinner, and, uh, and then we would go home. But um, my cousins who came for dinner, they were Orthodox. So when the sun set on Friday, just before sunset, they stopped using electricity and they didn't drive. So they lived in a neighborhood north of where we lived, which was actually uphill all the way. And I remember sometimes as we were driving, we would pass them and they'd be walking to my grandmother's house for dinner down this big long hill, all dressed up, all these kids walking together. And it was such a peaceful scene to see all these kids walking together and just like dropping the week, you know, all walking together. Uh, and we would have dinner and then dinner would end and they'd all walk home. And in the spring, or you know that time of year where at nighttime it's warm again? That's my memory. It's like, oh, oh it's warm again. You can walk outside without a jacket. And they'd all be walking home together um, as family. So, so when I say use this week as a self-care week, I mean, let's settle our heart. But let's also think of this as social care, too. Uh, we're settling our heart together. This is like Sabbath week for all of us even if you're atheist. Because sometimes we need to stop and take that squat or that curl inward and learn how to settle our heart so we can bring our heart into peace. Because when our hearts are less agitated, we can help other people. And you know what it's like to have an agitated heart. Maybe you live with someone and they leave a track of clothing all over the house. And then you see this clothing and you get really irritated. And then you go to pick up the clothing and as you're picking up the clothing, you're rehearsing <laughs> all the incredible things you're going to say to them. And you're going to say it in a way that's going to hurt them so badly that they'll never drop a piece of clothing again. <laughs> but uh, you've been practicing all week here by the ocean, and you now have the ability to stop and pause and just see 
just see the anger that's arising. Just see that. You know for the first time that you're agitated. Before you didn't know you're agitated. You used to just pick up their clothing and then at the wrong moment <laughs> you would unskillfully tell them how you feel. Probably right before they were falling asleep. <laughs> and then as you pause and stop and look at the clothing and you can see the trail of the clothing, you remember the huge project they're working on at work. What a big project they're working on at work. Wonder how that's going for them. And uh, that must be a lot of stress. Probably when they're at home, they're thinking about that stress at work a lot. Or maybe they're out of work. And maybe they're trying to find work. And for a moment, you stop and realize, oh my god, they must be so stressed out. So you see how compassion is connected to our attention. Uh, the first step is to notice uh, your body. And another thing we're training in mindfulness of the body, and I hope you started to touch on this this morning, is that when you tune into the breath, you tune into something that's consistent and trustworthy and also usually feels pretty good. You can always find some place in your breathing that feels okay, even if you're anxious. It's one of the ways I teach children, is I always say to them, your breath is your best friend. It's always loyal. It's always there. Your breath is your best friend. When you start sharing this practice with other people, you'll guide them through maybe a short breathing practice, feeling breathing, noticing the non-reactive space of the heart. And then after you'll say, so how did it go? And they'll say, I'm feeling my breath, uh, but I also feel like a lot of other stuff going on more intensely. And you'll say, well, keep practicing. Your homework is to sit every day for five or 10 minutes. And then in a week, you see them again. And you say, so how's it going? You, you, are you able to stay with the breath? And they'll say, I can stay with my breathing, but it's not making me feel any better. <laughs> this is really common. Some of you have said this already. I feel my breath, but I feel my emotions more than I did before. And I'm not feeling any better. And they say it a bit like, you didn't help me. <laughs> so I usually say to them, did it show you where in your body your emotions are? Or I might say to them, were you able to relate to those emotions any differently if you stay connected to your breathing? Or I might say, this is my favorite one, did it give you understanding? So they, they'll say, it didn't help me. It I don't feel better. And I'll say, did it give you any understanding? Did it give you any understanding about your emotions? Or if it's somebody who has a little bit of background, like maybe they've read Pima Chodron books mm -hmm. and have a little bit of Dharma vocabulary, mm -hmm. I'll say, um, did it make you any wiser? 
Didn't make me feel better. Well, did it make you any wiser? You know, for all of us, and, and I want you to really take this in, it, it's great. It's great if something uncomfortable goes away. It's so great if something uncomfortable goes away. But it's best not to attack that thing head on with the desire to make it go away. We're learning a completely different skill. And the skill is how to be present with what's happening in a peaceful way. How to be present with what's happening in a peaceful way. And that's a very portable skill. If you can keep staying with what's showing up, even if it's not going away, and you can stay with it in a peaceful way, then you're making progress. You're making progress. Because some things, like pain, especially emotional pain, uh, doesn't go away. We all know that there's some kind of rupture in relationship that causes really intense emotional pain. And that emotional pain sometimes takes a really, really, really long time to shift. When there's suicide in a family or in a community, that's a really good example of a pain that you may have for the rest of your life, a rupture that may be there for the rest of your life. It's way too idealistic to hope that that pain's going to go away. But maybe you can meet that pain with a peaceful heart. Calling on the wisdom of this natural resource of awareness. We say water is a natural resource. We say air is a natural resource. We say, what else is a natural resource? Fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. The sun. The sun. Awareness is a natural resource that you can't monetize and you can't run out of. Someone with anxiety, when you lead them through a meditative practice, will say stuff like, I see not a thought, but lots and lots and lots of stuff. Like I look down this channel and I don't see one boat, I see thousands of boats. <laughs> and you say, great. <laughs> That's great you can see that. Can you come back to your breath also? What about when people say, I have no thoughts? <clears throat> I was able to concentrate. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I find that. Never so heard it. If you, cause I, like, Except I, in dissociation. Yeah, like where people are like, oh, I had like virtually, I maybe had like two thoughts the entire half an hour meditation. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, because it's like, is yeah. that really, they're always happening, right? Yeah. So I might say, where did you feel those thoughts in your body? Yeah. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Just to confuse them. <laughs> or you might say, 
what are you learning coming back to the breath? So they might say, I look down the channel and there's just thousands of boats. I mean, they may not say it exactly like this, but I look down the channel, there's thousands and thousands of boats. You might say, so hear all this because you're going to be doing this later today. What are you learning? What are you learning about that? Because noticing the specific boats is way too much. That's the content, remember that? Like, if you say, what kind of boats did you see? <laughs> so in other words, in meditation practice, we're not looking at the boats, we're just looking at the whole field of all those boats. Totally. Same thing. And you could ask yourself, like, what's happening in the body when it's happening for you? What's happening in your body? What's happening in my body right now? And you might also say, what does my breath feel like right now? To get closer to the experience. I know for me, I feel a lot of sensation, and I kind of feel like if someone's asking me about that, then it's yeah. contextualizing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like my person I'm going through anxiety right now, and I, there's not too many like thoughts about the past or the present or mm -hmm. the future. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of physical sensation, and so it seems almost counterintuitive to then get into the qualitative detail yeah. of that because yeah. now I'm contextualizing it. So I might say to you, oh, okay, so let's not get into so much detail around it. But what are you learning from it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is it making you any wiser? Are you getting some understanding from this? Are you able to come back to your breathing? So if, just to kind of wrap it mm -hmm. up into this, if someone's stuck on the context concept, do we necessarily need to bring it back through language and image, or do can depends we what you're trying sensation? to do? Okay. Depends what you're trying to do. So far, what we've covered is we're trying to bring it back to sensation. And then, if they're stuck in sensation, if they're if anyone's stuck, bring them out of that. Is that what you're trying to say? Don't get stuck anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if someone yeah. is like fixated on sensation, yeah. then yeah. If someone's fixated on sensation, you can say, can you come back to your breath? You might also say, can I just add one thing to that? You might also say, that's really interesting. I'm going to come back to that content later. So you might say, wow, it seems like every time you sit, you keep going into that story. Um, let's see if we can work with not focusing so much on that content, but let's note it and let's come back to it later. Or you might say that to yourself. You might wake up in the morning to sit, and then for a whole week, you're replaying a conversation. You're replaying what you said, what they said, what you said, what they said, what you said, what they said. And it doesn't really shift that much. You might have to say to yourself, they're there. Um, I'm going to come back to that later. So I see that's happening. There's the conversation. You label it, and I'm going to come back to that later. Yeah. Yeah. 
understand that these rising and falling is just not really who they are. Yes, yeah, that's one piece. Yep, and, a, and an even simpler piece is to settle the heart, which basically means space. Okay, so a definition of a symptom or a neurosis is when there's no space around something. Right? So this is what we're doing in our practice, is we're learning how to cultivate uh, the conditions for space to be there. And one of the results of this practice is your ability to tap in to that spaciousness becomes stronger and more of a reflex. And that's the part that really takes training. So it's not like turning on a light in a dark room. It's more like a dimmer. And the more you practice, the more you can turn the light on to illuminate the room. <laughs> So I'd say for now, it's really important that your understanding of meditative practice is learning how to keep things non-conceptual. Can I just ask a question? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the way that we're speaking here is quite directive. And I know that has, has its place, like we're asking them to go back to their sensation. Mm -hmm. So we're directing them back out of that context so we don't get caught and stuck. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. But I know, like, working with um, some, some adults and older kids even, you know, that critical analysis as an adult, sometimes when we're told to do something, you, you can get those people that go in their head, I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm not going to be told. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, like, often what I find to do is I have to suggest or invite, and it's a softer way, and the person thinks they have a choice. Mm -hmm. rather than always directing them mm -hmm. because we all get a bit stuck in the times and mm -hmm. don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But is that, is that just the clients that I have or is mm -hmm. that something that you... Oh yeah, against? definitely. Sometimes you need to switch the language so it's more like, let's try an experiment. Do you want to? And, yeah. and I invite you to try this. Oh, you're not into that? What comes up for you around that? Yeah. yeah okay. So sure. it's okay to do the meditative stuff? For sure. Yeah. So I wanted to do a very short meditation practice for five minutes um, to just get a sense of what I mean by non-conceptual. Okay? So a sit-up in a way that's comfortable. Uh, let your hands rest on your thighs. And then, uh, if it's comfortable for you, let your eyelids close softly. Relax your breathing. And I want you to direct your attention to your left hand. We can feel the left hand touching the leg or cushion or whatever it's touching. And when we do, 
we'll also notice how there's an image that outlines the form that we call left hand. Now with relaxed breathing, see if you can bring awareness to the left hand and let the left hand experience itself. So instead of looking down at the left hand with the mind's eye, let the left hand experience itself. So see if it's possible to just slide underneath your image of your left hand and just feel the energetic pattern of the left hand from the perspective of the left hand. So again, letting the left hand experience itself. Keep your breath quiet. And every time you go up into images and have top-down seeing, seeing from the ego, seeing from what you know already, go into the hand and from the inside out, let the left hand experience itself for a few more breaths. eyes open, make a gentle bow, and sit up. So what did you notice in that very short meditation practice? What did you notice? Is it possible? What did you feel? What changed? Yeah. Uh, just a feeling of... Of emptiness, and it was uh, I could feel more sensation in the hand itself. But then I'd keep they would keep the image would come to me, mm-hmm. and, I'd, and then I'd, I don't know. I just I guess it was not so much using the breath, just going in and and, and really feeling the senses of the hand from yeah. using that. But then the image would come. Yeah. It was like, yeah. You know, the ego is trying to attach an image to it. Thank you. Yep. I was trying to grab on to like your words and what you were teaching Mm -hmm. from a teaching perspective. Uh And so then I was gravitating towards, oh, okay, and then we're going to do the right hand. 
Yeah. And I was focused, like I was trying to also focus on the movements and, and doing that as well, but I noticed yeah. that I was looking at it more from the outside as what is this meditation? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's good to see that habit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one more. One more. Yeah. I, I um, feel that it's possible, but I'm not sensitive enough right in this time to yeah. do that. Because I, um, when we came out of the meditation, it occurred to me that if there had been a sensation more like pain instead of sensitivity, yeah. then I know in that experience when there's been intense pain in my body, that has been the center of me uh-huh. at that point. So right. thinking, okay, this was just more subtle form that I, I found myself like trying to uh, visualize looking back up at my head uh-huh. from my uh-huh. hand and yeah. realizing it was still So it's tricky to find the perspective. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, it's possible to have moments where we drop under the conceptual. It's possible. But sometimes it takes a while to settle into that. But the most important thing to see is not the dropping of the conceptual. It's just how we function. <laughs> to see the images, the language, the need to frame it somehow. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to see function. And then slowly over time, we keep settling that over and over and over. So we start to meet things at the level that they're at. Like, um, for example, uh, my son, who's um, uh, three months now, uh, my neighbor came over and uh, uh, she said, um, oh, when cats are putting their babies to sleep, uh, the way that they do it is they look straight into the face of the baby kitten and then they go like this. And they start letting their eyelids get really, really heavy and then the kitten starts going like this and then the kitten falls asleep. So she said, watch this. And she takes our baby, Hudson, and she looks in his eyes and she starts... And he fell asleep. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's not working for me, but she did it. So, um, this is what we're learning how to do: is like drop everything that we think is going on, and actually start to meet things more at the level that they're at. And so there's a lot of unlearning for the ego. Because the ego is so certain about everything. And also, for those of us who've really suffered, the insights that we have about our life now and who we are um, can also really become rigid. Because the insights are so hard won that now our personality is kind of structured by that insight. And we're like, yeah, I've really suffered, so I have a lot of wisdom. It's like, uh-oh, be careful. <laughs> Watch that also. Um, so that we can really live a life that connects. That connects. And the last thing I'll say is... Um, 
the best way to learn about this is to do this with other people in this community that we're in. Uh, we're all trusting each other more. Um, we've touched each other's bellies. It's very intimate for five minutes. And I said no fingertips, but everybody did it. And we've looked in each other's faces, and we've, some of us have eaten meals together. Um, so let's keep this up, because this uh, tenderizes our heart and also um, gives us a sense of trust that it's okay, I can have my experience. Um, and slowly, slowly, uh, you start to find the spirit of the Dharma, this practice that we, that we do. So this is my uh, constant attempt at cheerleading. <laughs> so you will uh, continually stay uh, inspired to keep going in this practice because sometimes in this practice you'll hit a wall and it'll be like, oh my God, I've had enough now. I just want to go to Pilates. <laughs> So uh, I'll end just by saying two things about uh, our continuation in this course. One is, let's be very social. <laughs> let's be very social. This is a pro-social practice. Uh, introverts, you also know how to be social. You're just social in a different way. Um, and let's be really serious about the practice. So both, thing, both things. Really committed to this inner work we're doing and really social at the same time, okay? And let's be careful of like falling on one side or falling on the other side, that this group just becomes a social space or this place just becomes a place for me to curl up and be in my inner Esalen thing. <laughs> um, I thought I'd read some poems and then we'd have a little break. Do you want to hear some poems? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a poet that I really like, a uh, Japanese poet from the 1700s. His name is Busan. Does anybody know his, his poems? Uh, he comes, if you like Japanese poetry, uh, he comes after Basho. Um, so this is like the birth of haiku poetry uh, in Japan. And he comes before um, Isan. And he was both a poet and an incredible painter. And after Basho, when haiku becomes a very... Everybody knows haiku poetry? Very short, very fast. Very few strokes. And uh, a form of painting develops inspired by haiku poetry that becomes very popular in monasteries. And it was called haiga painting. And this form of painting in the 1700s was the haiku of painting. And um, very fast, like uh, the composition would happen very, very quickly, maybe in a breath, a very few strokes and very dramatic. So very, very quick. So Busan uh, was a poet and a painter so usually he would inscribe the poem on the painting. And lots of people did this, like Hakuin and many other people, some of you might know. Uh, anyways, um, let me read a couple of his poems, because I think they really capture the spirit of what I'm trying to convey. A winter night, 
the old image of the Buddha should be the first thing burned. Winter night, the old image of the Buddha should be the first thing burned. So sometimes we get stuck on, oh, I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> or now I'm a meditation instructor. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> if you want some heat and some light, that should be the first thing that you burn. Here's another one. So he was very inspired by Basho, the haiku. So this one's called After Basho. Actually, I'll, I'll say something about this before. So I, I, I always love the title of this, After Basho, because I feel like uh, it's so important that we acknowledge ancestors, you know? It's like, we're in like a great, like think about all of the musicians that you've listened to that have really brought you insight. So you're in that lineage. You're in that lineage. That's, that's part of your lineage. Um, so it's really important to stay connected to that lineage. Um, the title of this poem is called Wearing a Woven Hat and Straw Sandals Like Basho. <laughs> Basho has gone, and ever since then, a year cannot end appropriately. Did you catch that? Basho has gone. Don't listen with your intellectual thought. Basho has gone, and ever since then, a year cannot end appropriately. Imagine if you had a New Year's party every year and you listened to David Bowie. That was like your song. Uh, what's a David Bowie song? Ziggy Stardust. Ziggy Stardust, okay? Is that a song or a record? Song? Is there a song, Ziggy Stardust? Is it a song or a record? Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey, okay. So, yeah, so, yeah, David Bowie dies, and now the year can't end appropriately. The year ends differently. How can we live without David Bowie? It's not the same. Um, camphor tree roots silently becoming wet in a winter shower. Picture that you're walking through the woods. We don't have camphor trees here. But eucalyptus is close. Eucalyptus trees silently becoming wet. Winter shower. So quiet, isn't it? Uh, here's the last one. An old man's love while trying to forget it. A winter rainfall. An old man's love. So picture, there you are at home. Suddenly you remember. You're looking out the window. It's raining. It's winter time. Has anyone ever done this before? It's raining. It's winter time. You live in Tofino. You're looking out the window and you remember an old love that you can't forget. You're trying to forget it, but you can't forget it. So that's the practice. There's pain. You're trying to forget it. You can't forget it. That's okay. And that's the piece of Buddhist philosophy behind this practice that is so important to remember. The pain arises, 
we can transform some of it. And some of it's going to sit there in our hearts. And that's what we practice with. An old love. Do you remember the old love? The old, does everyone have an old flame? The one that got away. Whatever. A million things could have happened. The one you shouldn't have married. Yeah. And, and they're still... They're still so that's a good example. So you say, the one I shouldn't marry, everybody laughs. And then one day you're looking out the window, it's raining, and you realize, wow, we had some magic. I like to say, it was all bad. I'm so glad we're not together. And, wow, we had some magic. And then it's kind of painful. Like, we had this magic. What happened? So... Our practice is about experiencing things as they are and a direct embodiment of that and not clinging to it. (laughs) Experiencing things as they are, as they happen. And embodying that, not being scared of that, embodying that, and not clinging to it either. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. It's sure to come and yeah, so, yeah. it's going to go. Yeah. Remington. Um, when I was in my first year at university, I was at poetry and we did um, haiku. And I remember my, my poetry teacher just saying that the page, the A4 page itself, with the poem is centered in, is just as important. Like all that space around it is really essential because it's part of the poem. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, we're meditating on the breath, but this space we're in here, it's just as important. (laughs) Just as important. So, this is a very good segue to a break, to have a vapor, a vape, a a vape, to have a vape. I like vaporize. To to vaporize? I like that. Can we say that? Yeah. So, vaporize. So, let's have a break to vaporize. And then um, um, when we come back, we're going to do some guided meditation, and you're going to um, role-play guided meditations. Basically, we're going to do that every single day this week. Uh, Next week, when we meet... Can I say a couple things about next week, actually? The next week... I don't mean next week, but the next time we have the six days together, there's not going to be so much of the practicing meditation with each other. So really get it this week, because we're going to do different kinds of things next week. And we have uh, guest teachers next week. I can't hold surprises, so I'll just tell you a little bit about the guest teachers. Yeah, so one of the guest teachers is an incredible woman from Portland, Oregon, named Molly Bader Harris. And she's an expert in um, uh, trauma. And so she's going to come and work with you for a whole day, which is going to be, I think, on the Tuesday. Um, and her work is training people um, who do contemplative practices around not just trauma sensitivity, but the intersection of uh, trauma and spirituality. 
so her work is really, really interesting. And um, so uh, we're all bringing her up from Portland um, for a whole day. Yeah. Can you mention her name? Oh, Amali. And then her, her last name is B-O-E-D-E-R hyphen Harris. And the other guest teacher, I think we're going to have three, but I'll only tell you one more, is uh, Brian Williams, who many of you know, who lives here, um, who's a good friend of mine, and many of you know him. I think some of you know him. Yeah, and he's going to come do some cool stuff with us um, around working with different kinds of populations and some other interesting things. So Brian will be here, I think, on the Thursday. Yeah. So, yay, guest, guest teachers. You're not going to have as much as me all day, thankfully. Yeah. On Saturday night, you'll be like, I can't listen to him one more sentence. <laughs> all right, so let's take uh, our, our vapor, vaporizing break, and then uh, we're going to do some meditation practices together uh, in role play.